You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! Hello, everybody out there. What is going on? I am still buzzing from the weekend myself. Yeah? I had such a blast at uh, Big Shiny Tunes was at the Marquee. It was a big montage tribute show with a ton of Nova Scotia musicians. And it was just nostalgic and super fun. It was a blast being a part of it. And I got to play a couple songs. And just the crowd was loving every minute of it. I kind of bounced around different parts of the bar throughout the night. And no matter where I found myself, you could do a 360 view and everyone was just beaming and singing at the top of their lungs. Yeah, it's definitely a a nostalgia show. Ed Uh, the Sock was there. Ed the Sock was there. And uh, the actual guy who does Ed the Sock is a a nice dude. Mm -hmm. Got to meet him and chat with him. And yeah, just seeing so many friends, like a lot of the performers backstage, I I know, and some of them just met for the first time and just, you just get along really well and they're just hanging out with all your buds and hearing awesome music and seeing all your friends in the crowd. And then there's whatever, 800 people screaming their heads off. (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely a feel good show and yeah, and nice to kind of still be feeling the vibe and energy from that, which uh, relates to today's episode, actually, with uh, our local naturopathic doctor, Dr. Ashley Margison, who talks a lot about burnout and just our our energy bank is the kind of metaphor she uses throughout the chat, which I thought was brilliant because it, it really helps us understand how to build up that energy bank account and uh, what some of those withdrawals can add up to and result in. Dr. Ashley just is loaded to the gills with knowledge on how to be your, your best self. And she is, again, just so giving with her knowledge. She hosts her own podcast, The Superwoman Code. Yeah. They're 20 to 30 minute episodes. Sometimes she has guests, but if there's something specific you want to learn about, there's a good chance she has an episode on it. Um, She also has uh, her own practice, of course, and she offers courses and she has very kindly offered all of our listeners a 25% off discount code on any of the courses on her website. So you just Sweet. enter the code Mike and Kristen 25 and just check out the show notes and you can copy that link into Dr. Ashley's uh, online courses. And there's lots to choose from there. And, and this day and age, a lot of people are, and she specializes in burnout, like you said. And I think a lot of people this day and age are really getting to that point and need to make some changes, you know, just to, to feel their best. We all we want all our listeners to be at their best. Of so. course we do. I, I love too how she like she explains what burnout is and some of the signs and symptoms of that. Yeah. And it's very accessible. Um so hopefully you'll you'll learn something from it. Uh this is our third naturopath we've had. Yeah, on. we're like a 
health. We're pretty much a pharmacy here yeah, now. We're a health podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we, you know, we, we, we talk to entrepreneurs a lot and mainly start off with just artists, but it's, it's working its way into meeting people who are just trying to be themselves and be out there in the world helping people. And I think artists do that. And so do a lot of entrepreneurs and especially the naturopaths we had on are really, really care about the people that are in their life. That's so true. Yeah. You, you feel that from her and we felt that from her as soon as she walked through the door. She's lives in our neighborhood actually, but right away just felt at ease with Dr. Ashley and she's a new friend. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's just dive right in. Head first. Ooh. Belly flop. <laughs> Jackknife. Uh cannonball. Okay, you win. <laughs> I did uh like an online coaching course type of thing yeah. uh, in the new year. Last year actually, and I won a Yeti mic. Yeah. And I was so proud of it because I had won something, but also like I have my own mic. And here Mike has, Mike, All of Mike, mics. Michael oh has tens of thousands of dollars worth of mics. So here I am with my little <laughs> so USB, a, but I loved mic. it. Yeah. It's, it's functional. It does everything yeah. you want it to do. I've literally had to do a couple on the run before with just like, in-ear headphones like the one that went up a couple of weeks ago was an in-ear headphone one because I didn't have my mic with me and I was like okay this is like my brain's in the right spot we're just gonna record it yeah and I was like oh yeah there's a difference I was like, there's a significant difference. Well, and if you've never done podcasting before, we've had first timers come in and yeah. put the headphones on and it's a little weird for people to hear their own voice I yeah yeah. I don't know if you've gotten over that part of things. I mean, I come from a nutrition and communications background, so mm. the mics didn't weird me out because, but I think it, like that's the reason. How do those worlds merge? Oddly, <laughs> <laughs> just communicating nutrition. So health literacy is like what I love, love to do, which is basically like how do you educate people. Right. Okay. So like, how do you educate people and being able to kind of make informed decisions and understand kind of what's going on with their health? Um, so communication evolved into my nutrition background as a way of like, how do we do this well? And how we, do we do this in a way that opinion is not mixed into it? And it's actually like, here's the evidence and here's the research and here's what we look for as medical pra practitioners. Um, and they just kind of build together so technically i have a double major in business and nutrition and you grew up two houses up Is yeah it right here? literally like the red one yeah yep that's crazy yeah my parents built that house like in the 80s and it's funny because i know who lives in there now and yep. she's like we text and she's like so can you ask your dad because my dad's an engineer and she's like can you ask your dad what's behind this wall <laughs> and they were like planning renos and then my dad was like yeah that wall has the supporting beams from the entire second and third floor and she was like okay not happening Good to know uh, yeah she was like we wouldn't have known till we opened it up that it was support beams do you have your initials carved in the wall anywhere I have no idea but i know like i remember playing out back so like i know like what the river used to be like and where all like the little hidden things are in the rocks. And it was like, I grew up in this like magical fairyland. I thought it was. Well, it's really 
the terrain in here is unique. It's really rocky. Very but interesting. Yeah. And and we were told when we first moved into the subdivision that this road in particular was the original. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of built up since the yeah. last number of years. And so when Windsor was literally the only way in and out of the subdivision. Yeah. Yeah. Like Nottingham didn't exist. But then Flat Lake Drive had two entrances. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes Which, sense. Like, if you, you can look see at where it, that you're would like, be. oh, I can see where that would be. Yeah. And so did you move away to do school or? So moved away when I was in like grade two, I think. Yeah, grade two. Um, because my dad's job moved and we moved up to New Brunswick for a little bit and then mm-hmm. moved back and settled in Kingswood. And then when we were looking for a place that we wanted to raise our family, um, we were dabbling and it was like 2017, 2018. And then my aunt and uncle live up the street from me and they were like, well, there's a house for sale. And I was like, yeah, but it's out of my price range. They were like, yeah, but it's overpriced. Mm. So like this was pre-COVID. Yeah. Right. Must, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> um, anyway, we put in like. We looked at the house, actually fell in love with it. It backs right onto the highway, so nobody will ever build behind us, which was really important for us, um, and put in, like, fair market value and got the house. Great. I know. And so you and your husband are now running your own business, Cornerstone. Yep. And when did that open? So Cornerstone is 12 years old this year. Mm. So it predates me. Okay. So my husband started it. He grew it for the first like five to six years. Um, and then he and I met um, actually within kind of the medical field. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we've grown it exponentially since then. And what other practitioners do you have under that roof? So we have two massage therapists and osteopath. We have a team of three on our medical and naturopathic team. Um, and we focus on health optimization. Wonderful. Yeah. Explain health optimization. You're like, that's a question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's prevention, right? So so, the medical system that we have today is it's a beautiful medical system. It's actually designed incredibly well if you're looking at it from a reactive sense. So if you have a heart attack or you get diagnosed with cancer or you're in a car accident, like that's what our medical system is currently designed for. But it no longer fits the environment in which so many people are looking for health, like, right? Like, I don't want to be 60 years old and have a heart attack and then have my medical provider say like, oh yeah, you could have eaten this way in your like 30s and 40s and it would reduce the risk of that. Or you are still going to have it anyway, but you're going to walk out of here like with a little bit of a hurt in your chest and that's about it. Um, So health optimization is about prevention. Right. And prevention is looking at these little tiny tweaks and these little kind of subtle hints that you can do in your 20s and 30s and 40s to reduce your risk of non-communicable diseases. And non-communicable diseases are things like diabetes and dementia. Like it's something Mm -hmm. that like strep throat or COVID is a communicable disease. Like one person has it, they cough or sneeze on you, you get it. If I have diabetes, you guys can't get it. Yes. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it's so non-communicable diseases are also preventative. So genetically, some people are more predisposed than others. But there's things that we can do from a lifestyle perspective, a stress perspective, a sleep perspective, that if we initialize that as early as possible and follow through, we have much better long-term outcomes. I feel like more people are taking note of this or practicing this, but it also could be that 
we just celebrated our 40th birthdays in the last so you year. So about it. So exactly. This type of thing, because you're, we feel our bodies changing. And yep. so caring for them in new ways, uh, preventative ways, mm-hmm. feels more important than it did when we were 20. But are you seeing in your practice that this awareness of prevention is, in fact, cre- increasing across the board? 100%. Yeah. So, like, the demographic that I normally see in my office is generally under 50. And the statement that happens the most is, like, I don't want to turn into my mom. Yeah. Or I don't want to turn into my dad. Or I don't want to have the menopause that my mother went through because that was an awful 10 years. And mm-hmm. I'd like to not have that happen. Um, and it's happening, like, teenagers, 20-year-olds, like, 30-year-olds, like, investing into their health at this age, going, but if I invest now, I'm investing... of time, Mm -hmm. 2% of a budget. Like it's not at that age, you're not investing hundreds of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of hours of time. You're investing little tiny changes. And because, and another thing that Mike and I often talk about, and we've had a couple of other naturopaths on, which Mm -hmm. have been just so helpful to us and to our listeners, which is why we wanted to invite you and hopefully more folks will join us. But Mm -hmm. One of the consistent challenges that we're hearing about and that we experience, too, is differentiating the fact, the science, the research from just a lot of people online, especially that are throwing out wellness tips. There's a ton of opinion. Yeah. Right. It's so my background's nutrition. Um, I'm technically trained as a dietitian. I don't hold that title, Um, but that's the hardest part. Right. Is there's opinion and everybody's selling a course right now and everybody's selling this like three steps to curing your PCOS or curing your burnout or whatever. But so much of it is based off of their own personal experience, which is really important. Right. And healthcare is not just a science based conversation. It's an art based conversation. Like it's called the art of medicine for a reason. So the experience that we have as individuals are really important experiences. But we forget that one person's opinion and one person's experience doesn't necessarily mean that it's the exact same as somebody else's experience. Yes. That's where the research gets really finicky as well. Because when we research something, we take a standardized group of patients or people And we almost force feed them an intervention over a particular amount of time. And then we track what happens. So we track with blood or we track with questionnaires or we track with a number of different tools. And then we make an inference based off of those outcomes. But then the question becomes, can that be applied to everyday life? Right. How does this actually work when somebody's not eating Let's just say nutrition research is really difficult for this exact reason, because if we're researching a particular diet, quote unquote, somebody else is generally preparing the meals. Somebody else is generally researching, like going to the grocery store. Somebody else is generally figuring out how much of this we want you to eat to track this change. So then it's not only does this make sense from a research perspective, the next question is then can we apply it to the person sitting in front of me as a medical practitioner? Mm-hmm. So then I look at that and I'm like, okay, so Kristen, X, Y, and Z, here's the data. How well do you fit that data? How well does your lifestyle apply to that data? How well does we ask all of these questions because we want to try and figure out 
can we take that data and apply it to you? What's the percentage of gain? What's the percentage of risk? And then does it make sense to move forward or not? So every patient is ultimately a, a different approach. It has to be. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you're looking at prevention. Because we're making a change that we probably won't see the outcomes with for 20 years. Are you seeing an improvement in, say, government support for preventative medicine? Like, is there a recognition that in the long run, this is actually a healthier way for our populations to be treating themselves? Well, that's a question. (laughs) (laughs) I should have sent you that one in advance, maybe. That's a question. So that is a question that I think the easy answer is yes, 100%. I don't think anybody that works in a healthcare-related field will ever tell you prevention doesn't work. The question is, how do you, if you're looking at building a government system, a public system that supports that, it's where do you have the most bang for your buck. So where do you invest in to see the longest outcome Mm -hmm. um, and positive outcome? How many years do we need that with? Like there's so many different conversations because, so let's take the health literacy component. Technically, if we're going to build a healthcare system that's preventative focused, we can't do that without our education system. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Like we can't do that without the capacity for kids to learn this as they grow. We can't do that without access to movement, right? So Rails to Trails is one of the best things I think that Nova Scotia ever developed from just access to the outdoors and access to movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we look at kind of cost. We look at how well can people build that into their lives Our most at-risk population also tends to be the population that tends to have the least amount of money and the least amount of time, right? Like your single parents, low income, access to food, and then you look at grocery store prices, right? So can you access what we define to be this idea of healthy living? And that's where the health literacy component comes in, which is like, well, what does actually healthy living look like? It doesn't actually look like organic foods. It doesn't actually look like having to eat fresh ingredients all the time. It looks like being able to access some sort of vegetable. But the data tells us, like, it doesn't matter if it's fresh or frozen or canned. It's just getting the fiber and getting the vegetable. But we have this idea in our head that it has to be this particular thing. So then if we can't access that, we don't do it. That's so true. Yes. We think that if it's not a 10 out of 10, that it's not even worth trying. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't need a 10 out of 10. I just need a 2 out of 10. Mm, Yeah. Because I know if you start with 2 out of 10, then we change that one little component. And then maybe a year from now, when that's actually getting easy, then we change another component. And then we look at another component, another, like, transit systems are intricately involved in how we look at health. And I guess what I'm actually saying is there's 13 social determinants of health, one of which mm. is our healthcare system. Wow. What are all 13 of them? Okay, let's start now. I feel like I'm not, I probably feel, oh gosh, I haven't looked at all 13. I don't no, know if no, I can define don't. all 13 but just right now. Even using that number, I think, speaks to the intricacies of how, how nuanced this uh, would be to exactly. try to... Because, again, you, I think we're seeing improvements, even the recognition of prevention, yeah. it, like that improvement is a positive. But 
Uh, I, I say this only having a, a bit of a background in politics and government and discussions, of course, about healthcare that come mm-hmm. up all the time and realizing that, yeah, we're o- we're just always in reaction mode. And yep. that costs a lot of money. So there's certainly the questions raised about, well, how do we prevent people from getting here in the first place? But factoring in 13 variables, uh, yes, that sort of it's complicated. Yeah. It's and I think it's very easy to be an armchair policy expert yeah. and go like, oh, if we just hire more doctors or hire more nurses or, or you know, get rid of this backlog, we're going to fix the healthcare system. And I was like, it's a little, it's a little more complicated than yeah. that. It's yeah. a lot more complicated than that. And accessing care is one component of that. Um, but everything else, like financial components and and transportation and being able to access services that are not just a doctor or a nurse or a naturopathic doctor or a pharmacist. Um, Nova Scotia has done a really good job in in kind of diversifying access to care over the last little bit. Can we do more? 100%. Do we need to look at this in different ways? Yeah. What are some general things that you recommend for people to do or lifestyle changes. Like I, I know it's a it's a person by person basis mm-hmm. when someone comes in, but again, not everyone has the opportunity to go in and see someone like you, or has access to the right literature, or knows or has the education to be able to be like, does this apply to me or not apply to me? And not education yeah. in terms of do you have a degree, a degree, but just education in terms of like, has anybody explained it yeah. to you yeah. like this before? Um. So I, I mean. Let's let's take the burnout conversation yeah. for a minute. Okay. So burnout is something that is intricately complicated to treat because there is an individual component to it and then there is a systems component to it. So like what's the system that you're living in? Are you living in a public system? Who do you work for? What do their wellness strategies and their burnout prevention strategies look like in their workplace? Like how like all of these things. So there's a system conversation to this, which each individual government or each individual um, employer has to be looking at that in terms of like, how do we reduce burnout risk within our employees? And then there's an individual conversation to this, which is as an individual, what can I do to reduce my burnout risk? So I talk to this about my patients a lot. It's the thing I do the most in practice. It's what I see. It's what I'm apparently known for is yeah. treating burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I walk through a conversation about burnout with every single one of my patients, I'm trying to figure out what their environment looks like. So what does their sleep look like? What does their nutrition look like? What does their movement look like? How much support do they have at home? How much support do they have at work? How much time are they spending commuting? How much time are they spending on a device? Like all of these pieces of the puzzle come into the conversations that I have with my my patients. And what I'm actively trying to do is figure out what their bank account looks like. And not a bank account in terms of a financial sense, mm-hmm. but like a bank account in terms of an energy sense. Yeah. Which is the easiest way to think about burnout and actually the easiest way to think about health is a bank account. Because so often we talk about it like a battery. I'm sure you guys have probably heard that before. Like, what's your battery power? Yeah. Like, are you at 5%? Are you at 15? Do you have 100? The issue is, if you guys were batteries, if I was a battery, if I hit zero, I would stop working. I would shut down. I would not be able to move. I wouldn't be able to talk. I wouldn't be able to do anything. 
But that doesn't happen to us as human beings. Like we have to continue to show up in whichever way our environment requires us to show up. So somebody who's retired may have to show up differently than somebody who's a single parent, right? right? The environments are different, so we have to treat them differently. So I think about it like a bank account. What are your withdrawals? What are your deposits? And are you saving and investing? Are you living paycheck to paycheck? Are you in overdraft? Or are you like hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt? Mm-hmm. I meet a lot of people in overdraft. I meet a lot of people in that paycheck to paycheck. And that paycheck to paycheck feeling is like, okay, I'm kind of just keeping it together. But if one thing happens that I didn't plan for, like... Yeah. I'm insert swear word here. Am I allowed to swear? Yes, girl. Yeah. Oh, we're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, should I ask that The Jenga tower before? will fall. Like the Jenga tower will absolutely yeah. fall. What we forget about though is like, or what we don't always look at is how do we quantify what those deposits are and how do we quantify what those withdrawals are? Mm. So, so often I see online people talking about Well, speaking of, here's my three-step course to solving your burnout. And like first step is like stop doing everything. Mm. Right? No. Yeah, lay in bed. Lay in bed. Quit your Mm. job. (laughs) Okay, sure. Maybe there's a conversation that like... You heard it here on Mike and Chris. Right? Maybe you need to quit your job. But like is the financial stress of not having a job actually going to make your burnout worse? Right? Like that's a valid conversation. So... We go through and we try, try to quantify what the withdrawals are, quantify what the deposits are, because withdrawals are how you live life, right? This is such a clear way of thinking about burnout because it's another buzzword as far it's as totally I'm concerned. And, and actually, maybe we should start by just asking you to, in your own words, define burnout. I mean, burnout as, I mean, we can give you the, the WHO definition of burnout, But burnout as a whole is an energy deficiency, Yeah. right? Like, you just don't feel like yourself. You kind of feel blah. Like, And like you're saying, there could be any number of reasons for that, which I'm sure makes your job both creative and complicated. (laughs) There's an art to medicine, put it that way. Um, Burnout also happens for good reasons, too, right? Which is what we forget about sometimes, like a new job or a new, like, move, or maybe you just had a child, or maybe you're caregiving for a parent like you are at higher risk of burnout in those scenarios as well but they're also not necessarily the worst scenarios like they add deposits to our life just as much as they might be a withdrawal Mm -hmm. and the whole conversation around burnout is basically how do you build resiliency because you build resiliency into your life by experiencing stressful events we need stress in our life. We can't all just live in a cabin in the woods and and not see anything. And there's still bears in the woods, mm. right? So like maybe you'll tuck yourself away from yeah. from all human beings and then you'll go like, oh, look, there's still a bear. And then yeah. you're missing social connection, which fills you up. And, right? Yeah. Which is a huge there's deposit. No perfect scenario, it doesn't seem like. Well, this is the thing is there's no perfect scenario. Trying to control the conversation around burnout is trying, it's like trying to stand still on a boat. Yeah. Right? If you try and stand still on a boat, you fall. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how rocky the waves are, you're always kind of doing this like step by step. It's like a little salsa in a way. Mm. You're going to just salsa our way through life Mm. now but like there's always a little bit of shift right and if the swells are a little bit bigger then you hold on to something you throw on a life jacket 
I don't know, maybe put a snorkel in and just go like, okay, hell with it. Like, we're just going to jump into the water. Yeah. But like, it's very different trying to control the conversation versus figuring out what it is that your body needs to help you adapt to the scenario. And the faster you can adapt to the scenario, the more resilient you are and the less likely you are to burn out. It's the simplest way to put it. How do you build this resiliency? You have to figure out what your deposits are. Yeah. Right? So your deposits, I like to quantify them as like there's four key deposits. One is fueling, right? How are you eating? How are you fueling your body, like your muscles, your brain, like your cardiovascular? Everything needs energy. So how are you getting energy in? One, the second is how are you sleeping? The third is how are you moving? And then the fourth is full-on self-awareness. Can you figure out where you are at? Can you quantify what your bank account looks like? And can you look at every tool that you have developed over your life and go, okay, that one's going to give me a 20% gain right now. That's where I put my time. Hey, Kristen, do you know what's awesome? What, Mike? Real food bars. They're so delicious. They are delicious. I take them on my runs with me because they're such clean fuel. Like you're out on the track and you open up a bar while you're running? Yeah, just tear it open right there on the spot. That's versatile. They source all local ingredients. All local? So they call themselves Made with Local because they support so many local farmers and food makers. Where are those farmers based out of that they support? Nova Scotia. Holy smokes, this is (laughs) getting even better and better. Where can you buy their products? So they still manufacture in Nova Scotia, but you can find their product all across Canada now. This is unreal. And they started out as just a small table at a farmer's market and have now achieved B Corp certification. That sounds pretty fancy. Yeah, they have tons of delicious flavors. I'm partial to anything with peanut butter and chocolate, as you know, but they also have lemon and blueberry, uh, gingerbread for the holidays. Oh man, they are pretty darn delicious and healthy. Like when I eat like seven in a row, if I ate seven Mars bars, you know, I'd feel like I was gonna die, but I eat seven of those and I feel like I can take over the world. Yeah, you could lift a car after that. Yeah, you get this, like, power in your bones. Made with local. And where can we find these bars and all the great products they create? So I usually pick up my real food bars just at our local grocery store, but they're also found in lots of health food stores, gas stations, and little markets across the country. They are doing awesome, and they taste awesome, nutritious, and delicious real food bars. Real food bars. Made with local. Made with local. I think it's this fourth example, maybe, this is me guessing, but I would guess this might be the one that's lacking in more people's lives than the others. That's not to say everyone's having excellent nutrition and sleep, but the awareness that we should be aware of these things may be lacking. It's a conversation that so many people haven't been taught, right? Because that self-awareness is a skill, and it's a skill that we practice, and it's a skill that we only really learn when we're put in an environment that is different, right? It's not necessarily bad. It's not necessarily good. It's different. I'm glad you raised just this idea of things not, it's almost not possible to have this perfect scenario, so to speak. We'll call it that. Because I feel like in the last maybe 10 or 20 years, the the industry of wellness, even the industry of spirituality has led us into this idea that 
we're even capable of achieving that level of happiness or peace or uh, wellness. You have the yoga pants and the candle and the perfect vacation and the perfectly coiffed hair. Then like you are happy. Yes. I'm like, no, you got to be just as happy in the mess. Yeah, it's like this big illusion that it's it's led a lot of people, myself included. You know, like I found myself even recently finally finding this clarity that this this idea, this idea system isn't working for me anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not realistic. I think it comes down to how do you define growth and how do you define success? I was having this conversation. There's a a group of a couple of girlfriends of mine who all own businesses. So we get together once a quarter and and kind of have this discussion, help each other with business problems. It's it's great. And I was struggling on this idea of like growth versus success. And and as we're recording it, this is the time in the business world where if you're nominated for anything, like it's going to come up. Like RBC does their stuff. Like Atlantic Canada's like top 50 CEOs come out. Like this is the thing. And I have looked at every single one of those questions before, and every single one of them is defining how healthy your business is based off of a solely financial number, like perspective. And I'm like, and we're still rewarding. And that. we're still rewarding that. And we do the same thing personally, right? Yeah. If I just get the title, if I just get the promotion, if I get the white picket fence with the dog and the kids and the the marriage, then like this is good. I've achieved that. And I'm like, but it doesn't it doesn't mean anything, right? Like if you have somebody else's definition of growth or definition of success, but you're unhappy, it doesn't matter. Instead of that model, what mm-hmm. what should we be looking to achieve? Being content. Yeah. It seems like social expectations are the root of a lot of this. Especially for women. Yeah, and, and and I will say, like, I am biased in this statement. I work primarily with mem- women. I see women primarily. Yeah. Like, I will say the data does show that women are burning out at a much higher rate than men are. I think it comes down to that question of, like, can you have it all? And I was like, well, so Stephanie McDonald, who owns Halifax Paper Hearts, said this to me once, and I have never forgotten it. She was like, yeah, you can have it all. She's like, you can do it all. Nobody's questioning that. She's like, do you have to do it all right now? Or all at the same time? All at once, yeah. And I was like, no, that's a fair point. How did you take interest in pursuing this life? Of contentedness? Of of, (laughs) of following, like getting into medicine, getting into, like what drew you into this being important? I don't actually know. Mm Mm-hmm. In all honesty, I thought I wanted to be a family doctor my entire life. Okay. Knew I wanted to work in rural healthcare. Like, knew I I didn't want the big city conversation. Like, I wanted to actually walk into a grocery store and see multiple patients. And I actually love that about the community that we live in is I will guarantee head to the grocery store or home hardware and we'll run into multiple patients every time. And I actually love it. Yeah. It's a Hallmark but, movie, huh? It's totally, I swear, <laughs> I think that's why we all love Hallmark movies for that exact reason. But, like, I love that feeling. It's why Ben and I go to Yarmouth every single month. And, and we have a clinic there. We see patients on a weekend and into the beginning part of a week. 
Um, it's it's really important. And it's like a core value is is that community kind of strength. Um, and I applied to naturopathic medicine on a complete whim because I failed my MCAT by one point that yeah. wouldn't have let me like I couldn't apply to Dow. Oh. Right? It was one point. That's was like, heartbreaking. So like this was like I had my plan all set out and then the world was like, oh hey, yeah, no. Yeah. So I was like, okay. I was like, think of a different idea. Where do we want to at least try? I was like, the worst thing that happens is I don't like this and I think it's ridiculous. And like, so what? It's a year. A little bit of money. I was like, I can I can bounce back from that. And then I realized that it was the tool belt that I didn't know I needed to focus on preventative health. Yeah. Because That's so if, cool. Right? And I didn't realize that until I was in it. And I didn't realize it until, like, I had taken that jump on the advice of an ex-boyfriend's mom, actually. She's mm. like, you should try this. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I was like, what is, what is this? And I, looking back, would not have been able to do the level of preventative medicine that I do now if I was in the public system. Yeah. Which I will say there is an argument to be made off of some some data of like can you can you connect the private system that we have right so your dentist is private your physio is private like naturopathic medicine is private massage is like we're talking that type of private health care mm -hmm. not like i'm going to see a private neurosurgeon versus a public neurosurgeon like we're talking the part of healthcare that has always been private is there a way that we connect connect those two things how do we support the public system with the private system I will say, I think there is an argument for it. I think it gets more people accessing care, which then allows the system to be able to kind of put its focus on other areas. I'm transitioning out of the nine to five mm -hmm. world uh, yep. less than a year now. And now that I'm in a world of full-time entrepreneurship and creativity, and Mike and I are hosting this podcast, primarily we interview artists and entrepreneurs as well. Welcome to the 24-7 world. So yes, my point exactly. I, I, I came out of that world and, and have experienced burnout myself. I, I know what that feels like, at least to me. I don't think you can work in government and not and not, not have it, have it like some lick the ice burnout. cream at least of it yeah, yeah like you you get a flavor of it at the very least but I, I i certainly feel better but i have heard from several of our friends and guests that we've had on here that are living this 24 7 entrepreneurial life that mm -hmm. it's a whole other kind of burnout risk definitely so what kind of i guess feedback or advice might you have for someone that doesn't have that built-in structure provided to them they have to do it themselves so this is this is actually exactly where we start so i work with a, a lot of creative entrepreneurs i love it when somebody enters my office and they're like you know i own this business and i'm like oh cool and they're like and i feel like i'm dying and i'm like yeah okay that's not shocking mm -hmm. um i will say it generally happens about two and a half years into running a business you're gonna hit the burnout wall Okay, that's like okay. a general so like observation general you found. observation, like there is a timeline associated with this. Yep. And there's a timeline associated with age. There's a timeline associated with the output that's required. But it's really a timeline associated with energy. So before I answer that question, I'm going to back up and explain what mm. I, I mean by energy. So there's there's in our body, there are different types of energy. We have our like 
I wake up rested in the morning, have good energy throughout the day, go to bed, sleep well energy. And then we have the like, holy fuck, there's a bear behind me and I need to survive. Okay. The first one is known as cortisol. So cortisol rises in the morning, stays high throughout the day, drops down in the evening, lowest at night, offset by melatonin, which is our sleepy hormone. Okay. Very simple way of describing a slightly more complicated conversation. Mm -hmm. Then we have adrenaline which is the second type of energy. And adrenaline is the type of energy that lets you get stuff done because it's designed as a survival tactic, right? It's why when you're running on adrenaline, you can run away from the bear, but you don't get hungry because if you're running away from a bear and you get hungry and you stop for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think the bear is going to have lunch. Somebody else is having lunch Somebody too. else is having lunch as well, right? It's why we have a really hard time making decisions. When we're running on adrenaline, because the only decision when we're running on adrenaline is how do I survive this? It's why when we're running on adrenaline, we can skip periods or we lose our sex drive or for the men who are listening in, we drop testosterone, mm. right? Well, all these little hormonal cues start to come into place when you're running on adrenaline for too long because adrenaline's literally designed to get you away from that bear, not actually designed to do more than that. And in our body, we want you to run on cortisol. We want you to have that natural rhythm throughout your day. But what happens a lot with entrepreneurship or creative entrepreneurs in particular is we start to require a little bit of extra adrenaline to keep going. Does that make sense so far? Yes. Yep. yep. So then how we quantify how close you are to burnout is basically how long, how much in your day, how much time in your day put that grammatically correct, is spent running on adrenaline. Okay. Are you waking up in the morning? Do you need that cup of coffee to get going? Do you skip breakfast because, oh, there's not enough time, but I can get that coffee and I can go and I can sit down at my computer and I can start doing work, right? Are you able to eat enough to sustain yourself at that level? Because you can run on adrenaline. Don't get me wrong. You can run on adrenaline for 11 and a half weeks before anything happens. But eventually, if you continue running that way, you will get to a point where you're energy deficient. What that means is your cortisol can't rise the way it's supposed to rise. And does your body eventually just stop? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, your stage four $100,000 in debt burnout. Right. Is you cannot make the adrenaline and you've lost your cortisol curve. Is burnout and adrenal fatigue essentially the same thing? I mean, adrenal fatigue is this term that we see a lot online that doesn't actually have any data behind it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But like when you look at the data, everything that people tell say about adrenal fatigue, it's burnout. Yeah. Is actually what it is. Yeah. We're just not quantifying it in the same conversation. I want to ask a very, to me, I guess, basic question. Like what, what are hormones? Oh, love. So hormones and neurotransmitters. So we'll answer both of those things. Okay. They're little like chemical compounds that tell your body to do different things. Okay. So we have our neurotransmitters, which are things like serotonin and dopamine. And I know Mallory talked a lot about that in yeah. her, her episode with you. So I will refer to her episode because she's phenomenal at explaining that. And then we have our hormones. So our hormones kind of work like neurotransmitters, but in the rest of our body. So our hormones are things for women like estrogen and progesterone. They're things like testosterone, which both women and men have. 
They are things like our hunger cues, so leptin and ghrelin are hormones, our growth hormones, so that we generally don't have as adults as much, but teenagers and kids, absolutely 100%. Mm-hmm. So we look at interesting data on stress responses and growth hormones, and we see that that people who are raised in highly stressful situations tend to be shorter. Like, okay, that wow. hormone got suppressed, right? Or we overeat and then undereat, and then overeat and then undereat and overeat and undereat. That's the loss of the leptin and ghrelin conversation. Or maybe our periods stop when we're really stressed, and then maybe we get really heavy periods, or maybe we get a period every two weeks. For men, generally, it means that we lose erections. Mm. Literally, like you start waking up and you're like, that doesn't feel the same. Mm. Are all little signs that hormones are not necessarily survival conversations, right? They're thriving conversations. So when we're kind of going through life, what we're always looking at from the hormonal perspective is do you have the capacity to produce the hormones that you need to? And if not, okay, so what's pulling that energy somewhere else? Is there a way to directly optimize hormone health or are they more uh, like an outcome of other general well-being parts of your life? Like, does that make sense? I probably both. It does make sense. But I think that there's two answers to that question, which is if everything's, quote unquote, genetically normal and you don't have like a diagnosis that would influence that, then yes, your hormones will react to the environment that you're in. If you have a diagnosis of like, let's say you have pituitary adenoma, which your pituitary is just like two inches behind the bridge of your nose, controls a lot of hormone output. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a little growth there, that generally is nothing. It can influence how those hormones actually develop, in which case you're like, that's not a reaction to your environment. That's a reaction to something that's not supposed to be there. Yeah. And if if we're all healthy people, like everything is going quite smoothly, do our hormones still, they change and shift as we get older no matter what? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for women. Yeah. So we have ovaries. Most of us have two of them. Um, and ovaries are kind of like little vaults. And inside those vaults, there's a set number of eggs. And you were born with that. Like that's defined by your mother's health. And... Over our adult years, we release an egg generally every cycle, which for most women is somewhere between 26 and 35 days. Once we have no more eggs, we hit menopause. Mm-hmm. So are the 10 years before we hit menopause, which is known as perimenopause, is a time of hormonal flux that we consider medically to be normal. Because the vault is down to its, yeah, there's a couple good ones, but there's like more not good ones than good ones. So if you pull a not so great egg out of the vault, you're not going to produce the same level of hormones that cycle as you would if you had pulled out a really good egg. Gotcha. Odd way to think about it, but it matches. So there is a time in our life when we expect hormonal flux and we consider that to be normal or expected. Mm -hmm. Perimenopause, postpartum. Um, Those are the two really common areas. So we manage symptoms to support your health throughout that time. And and what are the signs that maybe you're... I'm 40. And actually, my mother and my grandmother both had hysterectomies in their 30s. Mm. 
So I never gained that information about what did menopause look like for you? What ex- at what age? At what experience did you have? Are there common, you know, you hear about hot flashes and yep. but like are there kind of consistent symptoms that you would see or that maybe I could take note of or women my age? Sleep changes okay. and mood changes. So women are seven times more likely to be put on an antidepressant in perimenopause than any other time in their life. Wow. Because our estrogen and our progesterone intricately affect our mood. And so if you're not producing the same level because you had a not-so-great egg, which is normal, you have to empty the vault. The vault just doesn't stop. It doesn't close. You have to empty it. Um, then your mood will shift and change. And then your body generally adapts to that. And so you don't sleep as well a couple nights before your period starts. Maybe you don't sleep as well around ovulation. Maybe you get a little bit more jittery. Maybe your anxiety peaks. Maybe nothing happens one cycle. Mm. So tracking is the best way to kind of determine what's going on hormonally. Because we want to figure out what is being influenced by the environment. And what is like outside your body and what's being influenced by the environment inside your body. But as a whole, we're primarily looking for mood changes that dramatically affect your quality of life. Like you feel like a different person. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not talking like crying at the Tim Hortons commercial every once in a while. (laughs) We're talking like somebody put the coffee cup down in the wrong spot and you feel like you're going to lose your mind. Yes. (laughs) Right? Like the Tim Hortons commercial is allowed to happen every once in a while. You heard it here, folks. When Sidney Crosby steps foot on that screen, the it gets tears me are going to flow. Every time. Every time. Um, so that's a big one. And then sleep disturbances are actually really what we look for with perimenopause in particular, because women are also not just most likely to be offered an antidepressant at that time in their life, it's also the highest risk of burnout. So Perfect we storm. know that the environment inside your body is changing. You also tend to be, I will say, at the prime of your career, Mm -hmm. right? Like your 20s are for trying to figure stuff out. Your 30s, you build that rhythm in. And by your 40s, you're like, okay, either I've shifted or I'm really good at what I do. I kind of like, there's a rhythm that you've developed. Yeah. Which means the stress is generally higher, especially if you change it, right? Especially if you're like, yeah, no, I'm I'm good. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do something different. Yeah. yeah, good. Like you guys did, <laughs> yeah. right? For a good reason. But it also increased your burnout risk. Right. So the question is, did you have enough supports in place? Were you able to quantify what those supports look like in response to your environment to keep your body steady? And what about men? Do they have really obvious symptoms or consistent symptoms that as they age? The testosterone conversation is the biggest piece of the puzzle, which is, I will say, actually easier in a way to figure out because you can test for it. Like, get blood tests. It helps, yeah. Right? And be like, what's my testosterone? Like, well, here's your testosterone. Like, it's much easier to quantify because there's a 24-hour curve with testosterone. There's a 25 to 35-day curve with your hormones, which is your female hormones, which is why I generally never recommend that you do a huge hormone panel for women because all we're getting is a number on that day at that time. Gotcha. So we symptom track more 
and then use that symptom tracking to decide whether or not we need to move forward with blood work or can we actually just figure it out from symptom management. With guys, we had to be like, yeah, let's just run it. Cool. You got it pretty easy here. So Once again. <laughs> but a decrease in testosterone, which is intricately related to a higher adrenaline load, increases your risk of cardiovascular outcomes. Right? Like you're more likely to have a heart attack or a stroke yeah. or dementia if your testosterone's lower. Yeah. Hmm. So as much as, I guess the easiest way to maybe think about it is like a slide. So men's slides to burnout tend... Like you need to climb higher to get there initially. But once you're there, the slope is really fast. Okay. Whereas women, it's like two steps up, but it's this really gentle, slow slide down. So with men, we actually tend to pick up on it much faster just from a societal sense because it's I was okay and this is very wrong. Like you almost move from like that saving and investing conversation to $100,000 in debt within the span of almost a couple of weeks. Mm. Which doesn't mean that it's not hard on the body. It is hard on the body, but it's fast. Whereas women adapt much, like, so we adapt better to the change in the environment, but the environmental change is much slower. So you don't actually realize what you are until you look back on it. You're like, oh, shit. Mm. What's the effects of highs and lows on someone like as as an artist as a musician a performing musician myself like i'll have moments where i'm in front of a large audience mm -hmm. who are screaming and <laughs> love what i'm creating calling and the, your name yeah and then yep. like you're obviously my adrenaline is through the roof and every feel-good hormone in the world is just surging through me yep and then the you, next day, I'm getting groceries or whatever, and it's just like you're thinking about that moment, and you're not living in that though. It's the it's it's the adrenaline conversation, yeah, right. So adrenaline is not necessarily bad. It's can't do you have enough capacity within your body to adapt to that, and then do you have enough capacity within your body to not feel a crash from it? So what we actually it's not about avoiding the increase in adrenaline, yeah. It's actually about what happens afterwards, because what we really want to try and support is the down from adrenaline so that you don't bottom out. Because if you bottom out and you're 10 feet underground, then you have to pull yourself out of this hole yeah. to get back to level playing field. We want you to have that adrenaline hit and then just kind of slowly break it down. Yeah, And that's like adrenaline can either be burnt off or it can be broken down. So when it comes to breaking it down, we look at we look at supplements sometimes. I can't medically tell you to take anything and to everybody yeah. listening in, same rules, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there's really interesting data showing that uh, B vitamin known as inositol helps with adrenaline breakdown. There's really interesting data showing that lavender helps with adrenaline breakdown. There's really interesting data that if you're constantly in an, in an environment that creates adrenaline highs, that antidepressants can actually be very helpful, right? So if you're constantly in an environment that's super stressful, can we give you something that can kind of numb that stress in a way so that you don't experience the crash? So antidepressants medications are not inherently bad. 
It's just a question of how do we quantify benefit, right? And outcomes. So that's the breaking down conversation. And then it's a burning off conversation. How do you burn off that adrenaline? Well, you go for a walk after a show. You could jump on a spin bike and go for like 10 or 15 minutes. Drink whiskey. <laughs> Don't know if that's quite where we're going. I think that's for. what's in the musician's handbook. Oh, okay, show me the handbook next time. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay, <laughs> carrying oh. your amps out, I think probably counts because they weigh about eight hundred pounds. Yeah. So. Well, that would totally do it. But what you're doing is you're basically taking all that built-up adrenaline and you're doing something with it. Yeah. Um. So I tell my teachers who are patients the same thing, right? Best thing you can do the last weekend of school, so like in June, and technically December, like the weekend right after the end of school, everybody just crashes out. They're like, I'm done. I'm going to sit on the couch. I'm not going to do anything. And I'm here being like, I need you to go for a hike, Mm. right? I need you to get outside because that cortisol conversation that we talked about before is defined by one of two things. One, it rises in response to light, aka cortisol awakening response, responds to light. That's why everybody's like, get outside. I'm like, there's actually a reason for it. Yeah. Or it responds to anticipatory stress. What do I have to do today? What's on my mental list? What's going on? I like using the light conversation as opposed to the anticipatory stress conversation. It tends to work better (laughs) long term. But like best thing you could probably do is wake up the morning after a show and go for a walk. Yeah. Right? It would teach Mm. you that just because the adrenaline is there doesn't mean that it's necessarily negative. Right. We want your body to go, oh, hey, that was adrenaline, but I'm used to this and I know how to recover from it as opposed to, holy fuck, that was adrenaline and there's a bear. And I need to keep that adrenaline because I don't know where that bear is anymore. Mm. With exercise, um, it's called heart rate variability. Yeah. Right. So it's a it's a probably another buzzword right now. But the greater your heart rate variability, the better you are at adapting to stress. Uh, what do you mean? What, heart rate variability. D- is that just like, as it literally sounds like fast How? versus slow, like there's variety in exactly. here? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So with heart rates, we generally want your heart rate to be as low as possible. Mm-hmm. The tinier you are, the higher your heart rate, right? Hummingbirds and squirrels versus bears. Right. Okay. Right? So yeah. the more petite you are in general, the higher your heart rate will be. Okay. The taller you are, the lower your heart rate should naturally be. And then the better your cardiovascular health, the lower your heart rate should be. But what heart rate variability looks at is does your heart rate change in response to your environment in a way that we want? So it's not about the spike. It's about how fast it comes back down to normal. Okay. Right. So if you're not cardiovascularly fit or you respond to all stress with adrenaline, you will, let's just say you hang out at like 80. You'll probably spike up to 160 or 170. And then you stay there for a little bit longer and it takes you longer to drop down. That's a low heart rate variability. Okay. A high heart rate variability is you're hanging out at 80 on a good day. And then you kind of like jump up to that 160, but then you jump back down. Gotcha. And what are the best ways to improve heart rate variability? Cardiovascular fitness and putting yourself in an environment where you're uncomfortable. So like Mm. cold dips. Kind of. Yeah. Which you want to work up to. Yeah. But cold dips 
generally, most of the time, you keep your body quite still. So you're managing your heart rate with more mental conversations than you are physical conversations. It's right. uncomfortable, though. It's <laughs> which is why it's more of a mental conversation, yeah. right? So yes, but also going for a walk, going for a hike, doing like intervals, going for a run are also ways to improve your cardiovascular fitness. Basically keeps your fast twitch, your muscles innervated with fast twitch nerves as opposed to slow twitch nerves. So it's generally exercise and that that does it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That sounds like it builds your physical resilience. Mm -hmm. I imagine there's a separate, equally important mental resilience. Does Absolutely. that factor into your practice and advice as well? 100%. Yeah. So mental resilience is also really interesting because mental resilience is how comfortable are you with being uncomfortable, mm. right? It's not just reading books on self-growth. It's how do you put it into action? Because it's really easy to talk about it. It's really easy to think about it. It's really difficult to action it. Yes. Because you literally have to do exposure therapy, for lack of a better way of putting it. Mm -hmm. um, cold mm -hmm. dips are exposure therapy, literally, yeah. physically. Yeah. Mentally, you also have to do exposure therapy. And that could be maybe you're uncomfortable to go to the movies by yourself. Absolutely. But you go and you, you does your brain or like physically, chemically change be, like the more that you practice those types of things? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And what does that bring? What positive does that bring you? Like, like maybe confidence, it's, but is there something more um, biological that can shift in you by practicing and, and gaining resilience? Well, you increase your burnout, you increase your bank account. Right. Okay. Right. So like you can't, I don't, I don't know if we medically know how to quantify. Like, I don't think we can be like, if your cortisol hits this number, then you are mentally resilient. Or, right. Like, sure. I don't, I don't think we have that capacity within the technology that we currently have. Um, but what we're constantly always trying to do is increase your bank account, right? The yeah. more energy you have in your bank account, the more you're able to enter a situation that induces burnout a little bit or makes you uncomfortable. But like I got a couple thousand dollars in savings right now. Mm -hmm. Like I can toss a thousand dollars away and like no big deal because I'm still in the black. But if you're living paycheck to paycheck or you're living in overdraft, you're already at the black. You're already at, like, you're already at that red line. If I want to put you into a stressful situation, but you're already on high alert, that's going to make things worse, right? Yeah. Like, that's going to act as a withdrawal as opposed to a deposit. Um, so it's really important when we're looking at the burnout conversation in particular is to know, that's why that self-awareness piece is so important because we don't want to put, push that resiliency burning if you're in debt or if you're in overdraft because that's when it acts as a withdrawal. Okay. So people go through and they're like, I want to like, so I get patients in my office and I love it and love the conversations and people are like, I want to change my life. And I was like, you can't get out of bed in the morning. Like you, you're yelling at your kids because you're so overstimulated at the end of the day, but you want to improve your life, can we start by getting you just good quality sleep? Right. Right? Because I know that I need to help that person get out of that debt first because those things come when you're looking at thriving. 
not when you're in survival mode. And I imagine like the ironic part is that these are the types of people that show up in your office that are the high achievers and the overworkers. And so to them, it's like, what do you mean? I don't have a to do list other than just getting better sleep. It's literally like recovery perfectionist over here as well. Yeah. Right. Because we inherently want to do more. Well, I'm not I'm not feeling good. I don't like where I'm at right now. So obviously I need to do more to get myself to a better place. When in actuality, we need to do less. We just need to commit to the things that actually add the most amount of deposits to our individual lives. And what might be a deposit for you, Kristen, or for you, Mike, may be very different than what is a deposit to me. So if you you weren't, say, uh, someone wasn't, I guess, living paycheck to paycheck, they're, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily thriving, but they, they want to just, they want to get to the point where they're thriving. Mm-hmm. Would, like, writing a list of things that make you uncomfortable and just doing them be something beneficial? Like, say, I'm scared of sharks and going in the water. Um, I know exposure therapy is the the best way to overcome things like that. Mm -hmm. So would I just get out in the water and just... I don't know. Would you drive down to, like, fly to Australia and get in in the water there? Uh... Or would maybe we go, okay, so what's the ladder to get you there? And is that having a negative effect on your life? So if you're afraid of sharks, let's just say, but you live in the desert... Yeah. Do we need to worry about that? Right. Right? Like, do, is that really going to make a difference on your quality of life right now? Is yeah. that is that a thing that is holding you back? Versus maybe, and, and, and this might actually be a more common scenario, how uncomfortable are you getting on a phone with somebody? Like a phone call. Mm-hmm. Right? That's something that we actually need to be able to do. Yeah. Yeah. So what does that ladder look like? Well, maybe it starts by like putting a reminder in your calendar once a day to like call somebody that you already have a really close relationship with. Yeah. Right. So, you know, they're on the other end. You give them the heads up. I'm going to practice this. And they're like, okay, cool. So then the act of practice is just can you dial that number first? Right. Sounds super simple, but it's like way back. Oh, it's a great example. And it's so relatable. Right. So then you go, okay, so I can dial that number. You get really comfortable with that. Well, we've just gone up a rung on the ladder. So what's the next one? Well, maybe it's calling for an appointment at a place that normally we make that appointment in person. So then maybe we go, okay, now I'll call. I know the team. I know who generally picks up. I'll call that next. And I'll get really comfortable with starting to like make appointments. And then maybe I'll call like a friend that I hadn't talked to in a while or doesn't expect me to call. Maybe that's yeah. the next rung on the ladder. And so what we're doing is we're constantly going, how much of an effect does this have on your life? How much of an effect does it need to have on your life? And how do we get you more and more comfortable with that being uncomfortable? Maybe you'll never like it. Right? Like you could do this, all this stuff and you're like, I still hate this. Mm-hmm but it no longer holds you back. Right. And kind of following up on your question, Mike, I I was wondering, for people taking interest in Mm self-awareness, would something like making a list of what your deposits and and withdrawals look like? Yep. That would be kind of step one? Step one is it's brain dump it. And if you're doing a really good job, that brain dump is probably going to be a couple of pages. Yeah. Because the rule with the brain dump 
is that you do not get to edit anything out before it hits the paper. Because too often we go through and we go, oh, that's not important enough to be on there. Except you're using up like 30% of your brain capacity thinking about it. Yeah, it goes on the paper, mm-hmm. even though you think it's not important enough. So the number one rule with the brain dump is actually there's a couple rules. One is it has to be pen and paper. Permanent. Okay, it's got to be permanent. Has to be pen and paper. doesn't get to be typed out because there is literally a difference. Writing it versus typing it, there is a difference in how we approach it. The second is that you do not get to edit until it's on the paper. Okay, everything hits it. Doesn't matter if it's like, oh, I'm wondering if the dog has enough medication in like three months time. And like, do we have enough Cheerios in the cupboard for the kids? Like it's all on there. Okay, every single one of it. And then the third rule is that you don't get to edit it. Somebody else has to edit it. Mm. Because burnout in particular makes it incredibly difficult for us to make a decision. Because when you're in, in like, actually paycheck to paycheck has this. Overdraft really feels it. And then obviously if you're hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, you're definitely feeling it. But you can make a valid argument for every single thing on that list being a priority. Because that's the adrenaline response. It's all a priority because every single one of those things is a bear. And you probably wouldn't have found yourself there in the first place if you were capable of prioritizing. Exactly. Yeah. And genetically, some people have a really hard time with prioritizing, right? So that whole asking for help thing is really important. Yeah. But ideally, you give somebody that list. And I don't care if it's a partner, if it's a teenager that you're trying to teach this skill to, if it's a friend, if it's a coworker, if it's I've had people like make it a skill with their managers. Right. You know how like people like go and talk to their manager and they're like, what what do you want to develop this quarter? It's a great one. Right. And then your manager keeps you accountable to it. And then they go in and they edit. And they help you define what's the priority versus what isn't the priority. And then the priority, you're going to be, you'll be able to educate, educate, execute it, no problem. The execution is not the difficult part. It's getting there. These are such great tangible tools. Thank you for sharing this. You're so welcome. And and I want to, I want to ask you as well. You're, you're so giving in your knowledge. You have a podcast. You invite experts on to talk about subject matter that maybe they've better researched. Uh, you've appeared on CTV News and shared your expertise. You're making time for us here today. This is clearly a passion project for you, something mm-hmm. that you've been working on. You've invested your your life and your time and your bank account into this. How do you How do you yourself feel like you stay grounded and energized with giving so much? Oh, that's a question that I don't think I've been asked that question in a while. How do I? I'm very particular about the environment that I create. And so I think we are a neat, uh, we are a product of our environment. But I think that what we forget as a society is that environment can be influenced. So like it sounds so simplistic, but like the colors on the walls in like my house and how a coach feels when you sit down in it and like the texture of the sheets and like what are the paintings that are on the wall Mm -hmm. and like I've really focused over the last couple of years and I think COVID really pushed this on me because like I've burned out before. I've burned out multiple times. 
I probably will again. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I could sit here and be like, oh, yeah, I've got I've got all the answers. I don't have the answers. I was like, I know how to ask really good questions to try and figure out what they are. But like I mess it up in my life, too. Um, but what I know is that I have an environment both at home and at work that makes me feel really cozy and very comfortable and very quiet's not the word and I actually don't know how to define that right now it's not quiet it's simplistic there's a flow that my adrenaline drops when I enter the space and if my adrenaline drops when I enter that space then all of a sudden I'm not running from that bear anymore which means I can take that energy and I can focus it in on whichever area I want to focus it on but that's because I'm not in survival mode anymore right? right like that environment works And I can have this conversation about how do I do it because I'm not in survival mode. Yes. When I was in survival mode, which, I mean, we got shut down in the pandemic like every medical provider did. Um, Period. No ifs, ands, or buts. Like it was very different from anybody in the medical field because it was dictated to us. Like we were working on somebody else's timeline. Nobody knew what that timeline was. That was full survival mode. And so I went into like when I was not seeing patients virtually at that time. I was in full, like, how do I reduce the overstimulation in my life? The kids at home, mm-hmm. right? Young Teaching kids. at home, young kids. They were, how old were they at that point? They were four and six. Like, they're almost seven and nine now. And we're a blended family, so we have them week on, week off. So that was a savings grace of just getting that breathing time to not have to be on for somebody else. But it was all about how did we reduce the overstimulation? I was working. My husband mostly does hands-on stuff. He was home. He took over 100% of the cooking, 100% of the grocery shopping, 100% of all of the other little tasks because it was what our environment required at that time. And now we sit down every single week and we go through, like generally it's our Sunday night, what's going on. We map out priorities for each of us for the week, where the kids are at, who's got what going on. And literally divide out tasks and communicate it. There's all of these little things. So like that question that you just asked me is so hard to answer. Because at this point, it's coming from like a 5% hit over here and a 10% hit over here and a 7% hit over here. But it's also why it's so hard when you're burnt out to look at everything and go, so what, what gives? Well, everything and nothing because it's 5% over here and 13% from here. Like nothing's like, oh, it's 60%. Here's the issue. Right. Right? Yeah. If only it were that simple. I know, right? Yeah. (laughs) If it was that simple, I wouldn't have a job. (laughs) And it seems like, it seems like we are provided with a lot of simple tools. Mm -hmm. I'll call them simple tools. Yet there's still resistance in doing this it's the doing part that feels really hard for everybody it's never a knowledge conversation and i'll say this to every single one of my patients because they come in especially the first time i get to meet them and and they're like well i know this and i was like yeah everybody knows that it's not about the knowing so why 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 don't we do stuff that's good for us why is that so hard is that I don't know. Maybe that's not a question anybody can answer. I don't know if it's a question any of us can answer, but I think we've made. Okay, so this is why health literacy is so important to me, because we've 
for so long, and I think we are probably the first generation that is actually having a difference with this, we have kept health knowledge behind a door. You had to go to your doctor. You had to go to a nurse. You had to go to a pharmacist. And they're the ones that had the answers. So it made it feel like it was always this big, huge thing. Because if you ever got to the point where you had to change your diet, it was like because you had a heart attack and you had to change your diet so you didn't have another one. So like big, huge conversation and like life and death conversation around, around health. Mm-hmm. We're in a very different environment right now, right? Like healthcare knowledge is not behind a closed door anymore. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of opinion mixed into it, which does make it very difficult, which is why like developing health literacy as a skill is so important. Um, but we still have that belief that it has to be this big, huge change. So it's not like, oh, I'll buy one extra green vegetable at the grocery store. It's I have to clean up my fridge and throw away all the junk food and get rid of the pop under the cupboard and then start 100 percent new. And I'm like, where you could just buy one green pepper and and eat it that week. And then maybe you'll get used to that and then maybe buy red pepper, too. And then maybe you'll get used to that. And then maybe, I don't know, you'll go crazy and buy Brussels sprouts. Who knows? One step at a time. Yeah. One, and that's the thing is people like when I develop, oh, when our team develop, develops out treatment plans for people, they're like, if there are more than two things on a treatment plan, like something's weird or something major is going on. But so often they're like, you're going to start with this. And people are like, that's it? I'm like, yeah. This is what I what I love the most about this point you've just made is that this has been such a consistent piece of feedback from all of the naturopaths that we've had the benefit of having on this show is it doesn't have to be complicated. It's personalized. Learn what works for you. Mm -hmm. Keep it keep it accessible or else you're not going to do it. It doesn't have to be changing your entire life. And the fact that you all agree on that and live by that and advocate for that, it seems to be a true effective it is way a value of managing of our profession, it. right? Yes. And the data supports it, right? It's not just me saying that or Coke yeah. saying that or Mallory saying that. Like it's the data supports small, consistent things done consistently lead to better long-term health outcomes, period. I feel, Kristen, like... We often dive headfirst into very, I guess, intense periods where we, we, and we're very good at it, but. For a period of time. For a period of time. Like, okay, we're cutting out sugar, wheat, dairy, we're exercising for two hours a day. And I'm I'm doing OMAD, I'm eating one meal a day. I did that for. Two months, I lost eight weeks. I lost uh, thirty pounds, I think, and then and then it just slowly like, oh, Yeah, and then you eat. go on vacation, and you're yeah. like, I haven't had a chocolate bar yeah, yeah. in months, and, and you eat seven of them, and yeah, pig out, and which even, I imagine long term is way worse than just like oh, totally finding yeah. your even Changes keel. Your metabolism. To, yeah, right. I I usually twice a year lose. And gain about 30 pounds. <laughs> Which I will say is less risky for men to do than it is for women. Yeah. Like if, and I don't want know what percentage of 
body weight that is, which is generally like whenever I'm talking weight changes with patients, I always just think about it in terms of like percent changes. Yeah. Right. Like what's the percent body fat? What's the percent muscle? Where is it developing? Muscle is what maintains your basal metabolic rate, which is how your metabolism is defined by. So a lot of times people crash diet, lose a pile of numbers on the scale. Yeah. How much of that was body fat versus muscle, Mm. which ultimately changes your metabolism. It usually ends when I get injured from exercise. (laughs) Overdoing it. I can't walk anymore. So But what that is though is we do the exact same thing with like we do the same thing as a society, right? Like we do it with our health very noticeably. Like we share it on social or we talk about it with like whoever. Like we have these conversations a lot, but we also do it at work, right? Like like I'm gonna like be really hard and I'm going to get a work like wake up like in, at 5 a.m. especially for entrepreneurs and I'm yeah. going to do all my hard work at this point and I'm going to like and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that it, it it doesn't last because it's too much for the environment that you're currently in but if you want to wake up at 5 a.m. and you felt really good waking up at 5 a.m. and that worked for your environment then Great. 100%. Figure out a way to structure your environment so you can do that sustainably. But you have to change the environment first Mm. and then the behavior. And I think too often what happens is we start with behavior first and the environment will follow. Yes, definitely. So then we run on adrenaline to maintain the behavior, but we can only run on adrenaline for 11 and a half weeks before we crash. I think that behavior is a little more intuitive or or taught for people like you and I, Mike, because maybe I have an art show coming up and I'm mm-hmm. putting all of this extra effort into and then you have this high experience or in your case, you're putting out an album or having a show. And so we've grown used to outputting in that way. Mm-hmm. And we've applied that at times to diet and exercise as well. So yeah. I don't but know. If, if it works and if you're supporting with like those cornerstones appropriately, then that's okay. Yeah. Right. The question is, is if it's not working and your body's not able to keep up, that's what puts you at risk of burnout, which is why I will always sit here and be like, yeah, you're going to burn out multiple times in your life. Mm -hmm. The question is, is can you catch yourself with that self-awareness and figure out where you're at before you're in overdraft? Because most times we don't figure it out, at least initially, until we're already in overdraft. Well, I want you to figure it out when you realize that your withdrawals are just a little bit more than your deposits. Yes. Thank you for sharing all of this info today. You're I so welcome. feel like I've learned so much. And wh- where can others come to you and find you? What's the best place to continue to find knowledge? And oh, I'm so glad you asked. So we are very active ish on the social world. Um, so you can find me at Dr. Ashley Margison on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all the fun things. Okay. Um, we also host our podcast, which comes out every Tuesday um, at on all your fa- favorite podcast apps. And that's um, the, Super the Superwoman Code. code. Yeah. And then you can find our online course catalog, oh. which has just launched. You guys are the first people that I'm actually actively Exciting. telling about awesome. this. At the superwomancode.com. So we have developed out our Girl's Guide to Hormone course. We've got Burnout Blueprint up there. And there's a number of other 
uh, courses, including a uh, Creative Entrepreneur's Guide to Managing Burnout coming oh, out in the spring. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So you can find all of our online courses there. Okay. Um, we'll post links to all this too. But so easy. Yeah. And, and because our audience, we have a lot of artists that, that tune in and that are our guests. So I think that will be really applicable to them and uh, a unique catered offering. Super fun. For sure. Yeah. It's a pleasure to have you here. And yeah, you're just so much knowledge that so many people are going to have great takeaways from. So thanks so much for coming to our small little cozy space Thanks here. for letting me walk over, literally. Yeah. It was so much fun. I live, get home before dark. Too. Get home before dark. It'll be great. But like this has been an absolute ball. So thanks for igniting a little fun in my life. Awesome. All right, folks, we'll get your do list out. Start doing, not just reading. And uh, thanks for tuning in again. There we have it. Another great chat. Just an awesome one. We'll have to uh, take some notes, go back and re-listen and take health tips from this one again. Yeah, for sure. That, I think if you listen to all three episodes with the naturopaths we had on, Dr. Cokes, Dr. Mal, and now Dr. Ashley, I think you can be like a superhuman. Yeah, you're, you're Batman after that. Yeah. yeah. That's how That's he, how Batman became Batman. He went to three naturopaths. Yes, yeah. yes. Huh, secret's out. Okay. Cat's out of the bag. So what do you have on the go, Kristen? Well, I actually am going to be doing something brand new with my business coming up in March. I'm going to be doing some in-person workshops. So to kick that off, I'm doing a practice run. And if you're listening and you'd like to participate in that practice run, I'm going to be issuing a newsletter on February 19th. And in that newsletter, there'll be a few questions to answer and Based on the response rate and folks' availability, I'll be selecting four participants to come here to my home studio in Upper Tan Talon, and I'm going to teach people to do what I do. That's super cool. I hope so. It's going to be a learning experience. It'll be really fun, though. Yeah. You'll be here to help. I'll, I'll help in any capacity. <gasps> I'll make sandwiches. Okay. I'll get paint on all of your clothes, chances are. You can make a paint sandwich. Okay. Paint sandwiches coming up in March. How about you? Anything fun on the horizon? Well, as soon as we stop talking in this mic, I'm diving into my songs, working on the new album. Do you have an anticipated release date, or are you not in that yeah, headspace yet? This, this summer. There'll be some singles out before. And I, well, actually, this weekend, this Sunday, we've got a show, a part of Rankin's Winter Warmers. So on Super Bowl Sunday. Yes, hell of a day. Yeah, it's early, too, so you can come watch the show at the marquee. It's all ages, too, so people bring their kids and okay. dancing. And what we'll, time? Uh, two o'clock. Two o'clock. Yeah, and there's a Rankin's band, so he has like a nine-piece band plus us. So yeah, we'll have like uh, thirteen people on stage. Uh oh, unlucky. <laughs> but it's on Super Bowl Sunday, so that cancels out. Yeah, oh, the perfect. 13. Yes. So yeah, just a yeah, it's gonna be cool to have like. A so you're playing pile. original song, original town hero songs, yeah. but with his band. Yeah, they all so learn cool. the songs. Have you ever played with a nine-piece band? Uh, not really. That'll be great. Yeah, I can't wait. Well, we hope you guys all enjoy your, your Super Bowl Sunday. Check out Rankin's show if you get a chance. And as always, thank you so much for listening and sending your thoughts afterwards. 
Uh, We also love hearing from people that have reached out to other podcast guests that they've heard. That's always that's always fun to hear about. Yeah, when you see those connections be made, it's pretty cool. Yeah, we're building the community as best we can. Making magic. Well, (laughs) everybody's part of it. Everybody's adding an ingredient to the witch's brew here. Yeah. Okay, folks. Thanks so much, and uh, see you next week.